Hello, welcome to the Lamaz podcast, where we chat all things pregnancy, childbirth, and the postpartum experience. Lamaz International is a global group committed to supporting families from pregnancy to parenthood. This podcast is an extension of our passion, which has been educating and journeying alongside families for over 60 years. Lamaz is more than just breathing, although ironically, today's podcast is about breathing, but we will explore and hopefully help educate you and how to advocate for doing so through evidence-based information. So let's get started. My name is Mindy Cockrum. And I'm the host for today's podcast episode. I'm a childbirth and breastfeeding educator and author in Southern California, and I have been certified through Lamaze since 2011. My guest today is Sharon Muja. Sharon is a certified birth doula and Lamaze certified childbirth educator. She's a certified lactation educator and a donor approved birth doula trainer. She has been an active perinatal professional since 2004, teaching Lamaze classes to families and doulaing, if I can use that as a verb, in Seattle, Washington and beyond. Sharon trains doulas and childbirth educators, labor and delivery nurses, and midwives in the state of Washington and globally through in-person and virtual workshops. She also co-owns Creative and Confident, which is designed to level up virtual classes, and we know how hard that can be, right? She writes professionally about perinatal topics, and Sharon is the community manager for Connecting the Dots, which wonderful publication, Lamaze International's blog for perinatal uh, professionals. She can be reached at SharonMuja.com. So welcome, Sharon. Oh, Mindy, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm delighted you're here too. So as I mentioned a minute ago, most people associate Lamas with the breathing, yeah, which is the patterned kind of hee-hee-ha-ha breathing that was taught in Lamas classes in the 60s, 70s, 80s, when the birth climate was a lot, lot different. C-sections, inductions were low, epidurals really hadn't become mainstream yet, and uh, external birth support was mostly frowned upon or even disallowed in some places. So breathing back then was the only real tool that pregnant people had to use in labor. And these days we, we know that Lamaze advocates and educates on so much more, like having the healthiest possible pregnancy, a safe birth, and and really making those early parenting decisions through evidence-based education. So my guest, Sharon, knows all about that. She, she's been someone I've known for many years. And I'm like I said, I'm delighted to have you with us today. So let me um, jump and ask you a couple questions, Sharon. A lot of people really are under the impression that the, the, the Lamaze breathing techniques of the 70s are, are really what Lamaze is still all about today. When you get asked, you know, how do you reply to birthing people when they ask you what you know, what Lamaze is about and how it has changed? Right. Mindy, that's a great question. You know, when we think about um, the 60s and moving into the 70s, right, we were coming out of twilight sleep for birth, right? Pregnant people, birthing people were, no, were not awake. Things were done to them. They didn't have memories of their experience. And, and then there was that reclamation of the experience and um, wanting to have partners and support people with them. And things really did a big pivot. And so people needed to start somewhere, right? And 
certainly the old history of Lamaz and that he he who breathing and and things that even to today right our our culture of film and movies and TV reinforces even in 2022 uh, we're still seeing that but you and I both know that Lamaz is so much more it is about shared decision making it is about um education and um informed consent and refusal. And I mean, I feel like if someone had to ask me today, what is the heart of Lamaze? It is the six healthy birth practices, which I always say are the best six line birth plan ever. And <laughs> I love it. I love the way you, I would love the way you phrase it. I'm stealing that and using it in my classes now. Best six, birth, best six line birth plan ever. Yep. Right. It's not it's not that Lamaze is against epidurals. Right. If you want right. epidural, have the best epidural. Possible. Absolutely. If you want a cesarean, have the best. You know, it's truly about making decisions that feel right to you and your family based on accurate evidence. And it just feels so comfortable to me to be able to share it with families that I teach. Yeah, I hear you. So, I mean, the birthing environment, even since 2004, has probably changed a little bit. Certainly the COVID years have brought on a whole new uh, range of uh, issues to discuss and educate about. But um, how do you really feel the birthing environment has changed? I mean, you mentioned twilight, um, twilight sleep and, and all that. Um, is there anything in particular that you highlight to people in your classes about the birthing environment? Well, we have a lot more midwives than we ever have, you know, integrated into the hospital system. And research does tell us that even if you're not seeing a midwife, if you're seeing a physician in a facility that also has midwives, outcomes are better for everybody because it creates a collaborative environment. Um, other things that have changed, doulas, for example, you know, are becoming um, more common, more prevalent more there's more awareness i live in seattle washington and i often feel like that's the doula mecca or the birth mecca i i feel you know that we we not that we're leading the way but we've home birth is covered by medicaid there's a lot of we have hospitals with doula programs i mean I, we have many mid, several midwifery schools here licensed midwives are well integrated into our healthcare system but I know that's not the same everywhere else. Two things that I think have really changed when I look back, like say at the last five years, are the inductions. And I feel like epidurals have never been better. You know, today's epidurals, um, one of the reasons that I'm a birth doula is it really, I enjoy it, satisfying, and it helps me to be the best childbirth educator I can be as well. And that is to say that today's epidurals, people can feel their contractions, they can get into different positions, get, you know, upright, forward leaning, open pelvis, UFO positions, leaning over the back of the bed, squatting, kneeling. Today's epidurals are not the epidurals of 10 years ago. And I think they're using less medication with better results. And I think that's been a game changer as well. 
I think that's a really useful thing to point out because I think a lot of people figure I'm going to have an epidural and that's going to hinder me from doing lots of things. And I don't think, you know, I'm not pro or con epidural. I'm just, if you want, like you said, if you want to have it, if you don't, don't. But I think that's a really useful thing to understand. I always say that I think our hospitals perfected them at the moment because as you mentioned, you can move around, you can get into different positions. You may not be able to get off the bed because then, you know, at least where I work, they're worried about you falling down and whacking your head, but at least you have a lot more freedom of movement. Um, than we ever have. It's positive change. Yes, I think it's been a really positive change. Um, it, you know, you used to have two tree limbs, you know, your legs were just like two tree trunks, you know, just laying out there. And that's not the case at all anymore. And I think uh, we're really lucky that they've gotten better because it allows people to take full advantage of it while still being a very, very active and not mobile, but position changing participant. You know, if you want to move the baby, move the parent. What a great, yeah, I'm stealing that too, Sharon. Okay, so whether you're having an epidural or whether you're not having an epidural, I think most facilities are expecting you to labor at home for as long as you can. And of course, an epidural is not an option when you're at home. So when you address coping techniques, um, whether they're at home or in the hospital, what uh, and why do you teach about breathing? You know, that's a really interesting question because I have gone back and forth about teaching breathing, specific breathing techniques in my classes and not teaching. And once I got an evaluation and someone said, you know, just they were a little dissatisfied that I didn't teach Lama's breathing. And so now I make a big deal about, now we're gonna talk about breathing, but here's what I want you to know. You know how to breathe. And when you exercise, you know how to change your breathing. And when you go to sleep, you know how to change your breathing. So what we're going to talk about some, I'm going to suggest some starting points for breathing that may help you in labor. But what I want you to do is make it your own. Take what I'm giving you, but do it in a way that feels right and true to what your body is asking you to do in the moment. I'm giving you a starting point. I'm not giving you a prescription. Do it my way or don't do it at all. Because that doesn't work. Take it and make it yours. And so I do cover some breathing techniques, constantly overlaying. You can modify this. What works better for you? Just like with positions, what feels better? What type of breathing feels better? You already know how to breathe. And I have full confidence that you will know how to breathe in labor as well. And how do they react to that? I think that they're okay. I think they're okay because I do feel that I weave that concept of, you know, what's best for your body, take what I'm giving you and make it your own, find your way. I trust you to make the decisions and do the things that are right for your situation. And I, that's just one more thing where I'm giving you a starting point, but I believe in you to do what you need to with it. Yeah. I think on the one hand that would, I, I, give you a heavy sigh of relief and think, okay, great. I don't have to do it perfect. If I don't do it right, it's not going to, you know, not work. Um, but on the other hand, there are people that are, I think are perhaps relying on that, the breathing technique to get them through. And that's, there's so many other coping techniques to talk about um, uh, besides the breathing, but of the kind of breathing, structured breathing techniques, is there one or two that seem the most popular to you or that you get feedback that says, Thanks, Sharon. That one really, that, that did it for me. That, that, that worked. Here are my three faves for the first phase of labor, right? Um, 
the first one is slow breathing. I always encourage people. It's the most like kind of energy conscious, right? It's the one that's expending the least. It's the one that keeps your body the most relaxed. So let's start out with slow breathing and let's keep doing slow breathing until it doesn't work anymore. I often say until labor grabs you by the ears and it says, I am here and you must listen, you know? <laughs> so slow breathing is working, great. And then what I, I often suggest is some form of a, like a pattern breathing with some vocalization. He, he, who, he, he, Ooh, and do that. And then partners and support people, when you notice that isn't working anymore and maybe they're doing a little bit of struggling, try throwing in that pattern breathing, that variable pattern, like give them a number between two and four. Two, how about a three? He, 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 who, two, he, he, who, so forth and so on. So I really think that that like patterned breathing with the variable number where they have to think and listen, what number is it going to be? How many do I have to do? That's a good like next step. And then my absolute fave is horse lips. You know, <laughs> explain. Just, explain. Um, you're going to make me do it. Let's see. They can't see you. Oh, but I know it's hard. I, whenever I have to do it on command, I always like kind of choke in class. Let's see. Right? So blowing out your lips, just letting your whole face and lips relax. Yeah. Kind of expending like, that energy as you exhale. Yep. And just like motorcycling, you know, your lips, because we have mechanoreceptors in our lips, as well as the bottoms of our feet, palms of our hands. But when we stimulate those mechanoreceptors, we produce endorphins. And so horse lips is a great pull me back in the middle of transition kind of thing. So I feel like slow breathing pattern breathing with the variable overlay and horse lips will like, those are my three go-tos for, um, for families, teaching, doula, everything. And then of course the don't blow with pushing, you know, pop, 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 keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, you know, to when, and if there's a situation where someone is told not to push for whatever reason, or they have a premature urge to push, but they're not fully dilated. Um, and there's that, which can be helpful as well. So if someone said to you, should I focus on the inhale or the exhale or doesn't it matter? Do you have a response to that? Would you know, you I, I think I want them to focus, if they had to focus on something, really what I want to say is it doesn't really matter. But if I had to have them focus on something, I really want them to focus on the inhale. And I really want them to do that nice big diaphragmatic breathing, right? I really want their belly to expand. I want their diaphragm to go down, which is going to let their pelvic floor go down at the same time because they are connected and, you know, really kind of expand out your belly and breathe really deep down. Not, you know, just not breathing into your chest right? It, the breath actually goes a lot deeper than that. So I read Dr. Lamaz's bio and that's exactly what he said. Oh. <laughs> I, I, said I haven't read Dr. Lamaz's <laughs> I know I didn't. Well, I just saw you without, without it, realizing it, you're, you're, you know, you and, you know, you're advocating exactly what he was, but in a, a much more modern, in a much more modern way. Um, in class, someone uh, suggested to me that their mother who'd gone through Lamaz did um, the pattern breathing you talked about, but tapping their fingers at the same time as they did it to add another layer of mechanoreceptors in there. What, 
Um, what do you suggest pairing breathing with? What other coping skills might you pair breathing with at the same time? Right. You know, I'm thinking of Penny Simpkin, um, who I am honored to call a friend and colleague and who lives not far from me. Um, and she's uh, often known as the conductor. If you ever watch any of her videos, she's often holding her hands up and, you know, helping reinforce the breath with her fingers in a very soft and gentle way, uh, guiding, reinforcing, helping to establish the pattern. Because Penny says if someone has a rhythm and a ritual that they're co coping. And so I think um, pairing breathing with, with that gentle conducting is helpful. Pairing it with a head bob, you know, as somebody, you know, I'm thinking about what am I doing when I'm supporting somebody? And they're like, huh. Huh. And I'm just giving them the yes. Yes. That's the way, you know, in the same rhythm. So helping them to maintain that rhythm um, with my own words or a, my own head and acknowledgement. And as we tell families, as I tell doulas, make the noises with them, make them feel like they're not so alone. That helps reinforce the pattern, reinforce the rhythm, and keeping them going, I think, um, can also help. Rhythm and ritual. I mm -hmm. like it. Um, so what other tips might you have for laboring people when a contraction, I, I call it takes your breath away. You said grabs you by the what? <laughs> oh, grabs you by the ears and yeah. says, I am here. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> what other tips or coping techniques might you suggest with breathing and ritual? and rhythm you know things that move the pelvis right rocking back and forth i mean there's so much good stuff there rocking those mechanoreceptors in the bottoms of the feet pressure on pressure off move the pelvis this way and that way what they do innately what they do intuitively you know a good labor support person is going to see that and encourage it and you know that's the way move like that you've got it i'm not about do it this way i'm about do it your way i really think that's brilliant i mean just shifting into birth support if there was kind of one thing that you would well i suppose one thing is tricky but a couple of things that you might mention to a birth support person um with regard to breathing or labor in general have you got some uh, headlines there that you might suggest for the birth support person? Well, in terms of breathing, I often pair breathing with vocalization because I think um, when people are vocalizing, they're, they're, they're looser in their throat. You know, we say loose lips, loose bottom, and they're looser in their throat and they can hold less tension in their pelvic floor. And so encouraging support people to help them to keep the noises low and soft versus high and tight, you know, so modeling that or helping them to bring that down when they start out, you know, uh, bring it low, bring it low, 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 meet me here. You know, really, I think partners can help to do that. So that's something that I, I you know, I say help keep remind them loose and low and then just the reinforcing doing it with them rocking with them moving your arms with them until they tell you to stop mm -hmm. you know don't do that you know you, they can see you out of the corner of their eye and you're annoying them and they're like stop but just reinforcing reinforcing and keeping them moving you know uh walking moving changing positions every 
30 or 60 minutes. Yeah, I say motion is lotion. I stole yeah. that from somebody. And yeah. I like motion is lotion. The partners seem to remember that catchphrase, motion and lotion. Uh, I like loose lips, loose bottom. I like low and soft. I like all the things you mentioned. And uh, where I used to work in uh, abroad, they used to say, bring her in when she's mooing, which is kind of insulting. But I think the word moo is exactly what you just kind of did. It, you know, what you recreated there, that low, slow, soft, moo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, we also, I also recall reading um, a study about cursing in labor has been shown to be helpful. So, I mean, you know, if someone is letting the F-bomb fly, um, but they're doing it rhythmically and not in a high pitch, but rather low and steady, right? You know, yeah. Go, yeah. To town, go to town. Yeah, I always say, you know, what she says in labor is not, you know, is not, you know, is she's letting it go. Let her, you know, if you hear words you haven't heard before, just let it. You know, they're not aimed at you. In this COVID environment, and still to this day, I still don't know if it's a California mandate or a U.S. mandate. Everybody in a medical setting, even in the, in the vet's office, when I took the dog in, is wearing a mask. And I know that in our hospital, everyone, you know, I wear a mask when I'm working, and so are the people that come in to have a baby. Do you have any tips for laboring, breathing when you're wearing a mandatory mask in the hospital? Yeah, I, I think that I think that our our mask culture may change forward. You know, a lot of people I know have said, I plan on wearing a mask to lots of things that I wouldn't have before COVID because I also haven't gotten sick in three years. Like I haven't gotten a cold or a flu. So I I think it's a good thing that that, that may be a little bit of my opinion, right? But um, I think to wear a mask before you're in labor, find a mask that you like, that fits well, that you're comfortable with so it's not the first time you're putting it on when you're in labor is something that could be a good thing to do maybe even practice a little bit of sports or exercise whatever you're doing in your pregnancy with a mask on so you can feel what it feels like by all means if it's really inhibiting you having a conversation with the people in the room about what are your alternatives we have nitrous oxide at a lot of facilities here in the Seattle area. And I, I, you know, that's, um, you're not doing that with a mask on and, and, and it's available. So I think if you have a negative COVID test, is there wiggle room? If you're truly struggling, just having a conversation about that is a good starting point. And if somebody is really, really bothered and they are healthy and low risk, considering a home birth, if, if this is something they really want to take a stand on. Really good tips. And I hadn't thought of a couple of those. So thank you very much. <laughs> Cause I get asked that occasionally. And I think, Hmm, yeah, they don't really bend the rules where I work, but those are rules you don't have to bend. So um, those are all really, uh, really helpful. If there's nitrous, maybe they could be um, using the nitrous for a really long time, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, nitrous is really exciting. I used nitrous in both my births in the UK. Everybody uses nitrous all the time. And I think the expression is don't underestimate the power of gas and air is what we used to say is wonderful stuff. But yeah, I hadn't thought about the, that mask. Um, so just shifting gears here, I was reading the piece published in Connecting the Dots by Ken McGee um, on September 14th. And if you don't know about that publication, Connecting the Dots, you probably do. It's it's a wonderful publication that Sharon is really the mastermind behind. And I was reading about the pushing tips to decrease perineal tearing um, that he highlighted. 
Um, Sharon, how do you kind of transition in your classes from first stage breathing to second stage breathing? How do you differentiate it? How do you explain the difference? And how do you teach really, you know, breathing when you're pushing? That's a really good question as well. So I feel like for labor, people are doing things, including breathing, that is getting them through. And I feel like a lot of people, not everybody, finds it easier. It's not easy, but easier to push than to labor. You know, hard labor versus pushing. I feel like people feel like I'm doing something. I'm working with it instead of trying to float over it. And the breathing, when people are not telling people what to do in second stage and pushing, they intuitively will do what feels natural, right? The the urge to push, it doesn't come from our brain. It comes, it's it's physiological, like the heart pumping or something else. And so when people are guided, instructed, encouraged to do what feels right, even with an epidural, their body will do what it needs to do. I think it can, know, you know, as we're talking about breathing, take your breath away, right? That sort of, as I've heard it described to me and now I use is like reverse throw up, right? You know, you're throwing down instead of throwing up, but that uh, you, you can't not, <laughs> yeah. right? You can't not. And, and with, even for people who have a medicated birth, who have an epidural, given enough time with the baby, you know, which now with that more recent study that was like 10 centimeters, everybody, even medicated births should start pushing. And right. the labor and delivery nurse said, uh, not on my watch, we're pushing, <laughs> uh, you know, as soon as we get to 10 centimeters, because we know like the laboring down. Can yes. Go. And eventually you, you feel like you want to push something out, even when you are medicated. And of course, not medicated, you're going to listen to your body. And so, I, I just tell them the things really less so what to do and more of what not to do. People may tell you, curl around your baby. No, not not been found to be helpful. People may count um, and even count to 10. Well, we found that people spontaneously um, bore down for six seconds, not 10. Um, people would tell you, you know, all oh, that noise is your power. Move that noise down. Don't make those noises. We know those things are not true. So I'm not going to tell you so much how to do it, but I'm going to tell you, and I'm looking at you support people, that when you hear things like those phrases I just said, curl around your baby, hold your breath and move it down. Um, let me count to 10 that those are things that we know are not evidence-based. And so you know, if you want to sing opera while you're pushing your baby out, I mean, great. You know, that's, I mean, that's not what people, you know, most people are doing, but well, those high notes might help, you know, it'll, you'll figure it out. You know, you'll figure it out just like you figure out having a bowel movement. You Absolutely. Know? It's a I reflex mean, takes over. Exactly. So, so just being aware of things that can get you hung up that can cause more distress on the baby, like holding your breath, like counting to, you know, those repetitive, not, not being repetitive here myself, but, you know, just let's, you, people will figure it out, you know? Yeah. I always say when you're sitting on the 
toilet, pushing something out of you from a not that distant place from where you're pushing a baby out, do you lean forward and put your chin on your chest <laughs> on the toilet? No. I mean, I, at least I don't. Um, you know, so why would you necessarily do that in labor? Yeah. I, you know, I agree with yeah. you. I completely agree with you. You know, Mindy, we do have a challenge because the whole poop issue with birth is very different when you are pregnant and facing giving birth. And when you are an educator or a doula or a midwife or a labor and delivery nurse or a physician, and we really need to figure out a way that everybody's on the same page because it is really quite an obstacle for birthing people to wrap their head around. I agree. Yeah. And they get a lot of conflicting information. And, you know, I, I often suggest that they use the long you, whether they vocalize it or not, doesn't matter. But I, uh, and I, and one of my uh, people from my class used it in labor successfully, but the, the, she was explaining why she did what she did. And she was told that that probably would, isn't very helpful and she shouldn't do that. And, she came back to me and reported that back to me. And I read that article by Ken McGee, where he says, you know, using the long U can be really helpful, but help to avoid perineal damage. I thought, hmm, I don't know. It's it's difficult to um, to confront someone and say, listen, here's the evidence in a very nice way. Um, can we just come to some agreement? But I think that's what it's going to take in some sort of structured fashion so that we all get on the same page uh, um, about, you know, what the current you know, current is the wrong word, but what, you know, what's going to work most efficiently for majority of people. Yeah. And, and how do we ask people in their most vulnerable birthing moment to have to say, Hey, I'd like a timeout to say that I read the evidence. And I, I mean, that's not, that's not where people are at. And, you know, so I have a, an expression that I'm really well known for, and I, I don't know if you have heard it from me before or not, but it, and we are a little off track of breathing, but it's, it's like, if you want a good enchilada, don't go to a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> oh yeah. And, I like it. Right. And what yeah. I mean is if you want a birth that, that is this way, then go to a place and I, and I'm acknowledging that there is privilege in having choice. Yes. Go to a place that does what you want really well, but don't go to a place that doesn't do what you want and try and make it fit. Right. Because you're never going to get a good enchilada in a Chinese restaurant, but you are going to get great Chinese food there. <laughs> That's true. You are. You've taught thousands of people over the years. Is there a, a story or an experience that's come back to you from one of your class members where they talked about breathing, breathing made the difference in first stage or second stage? Anything come to mind? I think... What makes me most proud is when they come back and they tell me what they did, whatever it is or was about their vocalizations and their breathing and how they made it their own. And they found that it was really helpful. Like it's less so much that you taught me Sharon to do it this way. And this is what I did when I got there, 
but was that you planted the seed that I would find my way and I did and I did it and it was effective and I liked it. And I'm really glad that I was encouraged to make it my own, right? Rather than do it my way. And that's what I, that, so I hear all the time stories of, I had to repeat this chanting thing all the time, or this is how I breathe. This is, this is what I did. And it's, it's, it's like, wow, you really, you really found your way. What a good job. Yeah. What a good job you've done. That's perfect. That's what I want. Yeah. Are there any particular go-to websites or resources that you recommend, obviously besides your own, um, for people who uh, want to learn? I mean, is there any specialist websites out there that you would send people to? I feel like I have a really big, deep resource pool. I'm constantly sharing all kinds of things. Um, one of my favorite little videos right now is a YouTube video done by some doulas in Pennsylvania. And it's a little fairly old, but it shows like 30 different positions on the hospital bed. You know, and I, I mean, I, I want them to know, you know, if you want to move the baby, move the parents and, and even if you have an epidural and, and look at all the things like, and rely on your nurses when they are the masters of those beds. And, you know, if you can do it on the floor, you can do it on the bed. And so, I mean, I feel like there's that. Good clip. I know exactly what clip you're talking about. Yeah. Cute yeah. music too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like closed knee pushing is all the rage now. A couple of years we've been in that. I'm, I often am hesitant. You know, things come up and I know that it's probably been done for tens of thousands of years. And I'm trying to be cognizant of the origin of a lot of this stuff that it wasn't you know, invented by white people in their 40s, you know? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, but I, I feel like knowing where your baby is in your pelvis and is it high, is it mid pelvis or is it low? And then what opens that part of your pelvis can be really helpful. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, it's hard to say where I send people. I'm, I like Gail Tully's um, daily activities for daily pregnant people. Yeah. yeah. Her daily essentials, because uh, you know, they're not, they're not all for everybody. Not all of them are for everybody all the time, but I like the fact that she gives the logic behind what she's asking you to do. And therefore you can decide whether it's right for you or not. So I often send people there, even though, you know, that yeah. that website was initially really probably more about turning a breach. It's really more about getting to know where your baby is, like you just mentioned. Yeah. Right. But and of course, our our own our Lamaze website's brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So is there any recent I mean, as I mentioned before, there's a, Sharon does a lot. Um and uh she um does a lot of um editing and deals with a lot of writers who bring a lot of really interesting concepts her way. Are there any recent guests that stirred your interest in a particular topic that made you want to learn more about it? Or is there anything coming up that you want to mention? Or is there anything you'd like to add? I've been reading a little bit about uh, a new drug for postpartum hemorrhaging that I want to learn a little bit more on. And maybe you know what it is. It's a new drug, begins with the T, something acid. 
that is used for postpartum hemorrhage. And right. I was just reading a little blurb by ACOG. And this is, I, I need to learn more because it's available in the OR to have on hand for cesareans, but uh, anesthesiologists have inadvertently injected it intrathecally into like the epidural or spinal it's that, which is not the way it, it should, like there's just been a medication mix up. Right. But it has some pretty crappy results when it's, you. It's, that's a zero what it's for. And there was just, they were just issuing a warning to make sure that like these medicines shouldn't even be kept together. And right. you know, one should be out of the OR and one should be in the OR. And, and I was just, just, I'm just, when you were saying like something, I was like, I don't know. I don't really know much about this, but I'm mm -hmm. hearing more often than not, I'm hearing new things about this medication for postpartum hemorrhage. And I need to learn more about it, especially now that I'm seeing that there have been some um, medication mix-ups. Right. Yes. I, I can't remember off the top of my head right this second what it was called. Don't worry. I look forward to reading about it because no doubt it will appear in Connecting the Dots in the next couple months. Maybe, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Sharon, I have learned so much from you today and you've made me laugh, which isn't easy to do. <laughs> um, just thinking back about rhythm and ritual and vocalization and loose lips and um, loose bottoms and throwing down, not throwing up. Those are all catchphrases and things that are going to stick with me. I really want to thank my guest today, Sharon Musa, uh, and also thank you for listening to today's Lamaze podcast on breathing and, and lots of other things. Please go to our website, lamaze.org, to learn more about Lamaze, how to connect to a childbirth educator in your area or a class, and so many other resources related to pregnancy, childbirth, and parenthood. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Lamaze podcast and give us a good review. I hope uh, this will help other families find us in the podcast world. So I look forward to you tuning in next time. And for today, I have been your host, Mindy Cockrum. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.